Genesis chapter 3. Got a few verses there, and then we're going to just jump right in. And let's read chapter 3, verse 20, in the book of Genesis. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden till the ground from which he was taken. Verse 24. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. The first family in the Bible was created in turmoil, but it was created by God. The family unit has been ordained by God since the beginning of mankind. Now, this is a family message, but that doesn't mean if you don't have kids, it doesn't isn't speaking to you. This doesn't mean if you're not married, this isn't speaking to you because there's practical applications to each and every one of us. I don't have 12 kids. I only have a few, but it's still as relevant to me no matter how many kids we have, whether it's zero or whether it's uh, 23, I think is the current record right now. One couple has 23 children. Doesn't matter if you're married yet or if you've been married five times. We're just looking at what the Lord's model is and what the world's model is and the war that's out there. In Psalm 96, 7 and 8, it says, Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord glory, do his name, bring an offering and come into his courts. But at the f- uh, focus on verse 7 there, O families of the people. Families are supposed to be coming before the Lord. Families are a unit where God is moving in and has set principles and has a set order at the way that works best. Now, we are all saved by grace. And the ideal isn't always the reality. And that's what the Lord works in. He works in our reality. He works in where we're at right now. But we have to realize that this reality, this ideal, has been challenged. In America, the ideal was always in the past, husband and a wife, one marriage, a father and a mother with two children. That was the the nuclear family, they called it. We went from the early 1900s from having an average of three children to having an average of two children to now it's like 1.9, I think, or 2.0. I got some more stats for you later. But ever since the beginning, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, families have been under attack. It was Karl Marx in the 1800s that said that you had to destroy capital, private property, and families. They wanted to remove the family unit. They wanted the state to run your family. That the state would be indoctrinating your kids into the philosophy. So regardless of what mom and dad taught, they would be learning what the state taught them. Well, there was another guy who came along the way, Benito Mussolini, and then another guy after him, Adolf Hitler, um, socialist, fascist, 
communists, they all wanted to separate the family, to indoctrinate the family, so that husband and wife, father and mother, had less and less influence on the children. Now, Marxists aren't as prevalent as they were since the fall of the Soviet Union. However, Beijing, China, Cuba, they still have the same mentality. What's more dangerous in our society today is that those philosophies and those ideas have massed themselves into new political parties and into new philosophies and new ideas of people that are trying to come and to tell you how your family needs to be run. And this is not a political message, but this is a practical message for each and every one of us. There has never been a time in America like there is today, in the 21st century. That's why we're talking about the 21st century family, where you have financial, economic, financial, economic, and political pressure all to divide the family. See, the government can't come in and take your kids. They don't want to do that. The majority of them are their honest working people. But what they do want is for you to drop off their ki- your kids to them voluntarily and for you to go and check out and to work while they teach you, your kids, how, you're supposed to, how they're supposed to grow up and to believe and how they're supposed to think. Now, the church is so focused on growing the church that they do not spend any time or not enough time on growing up the family unit. If the church spent as much time as it does on um, workshops and books and uh, evangelism and outreach for growing the church, I'm not talking about spreading the gospel. I mean, I mean selling church tickets, getting people in the door. That's what I'm talking about. If they put that energy into preparing children, preparing families, and protecting and guiding families, how different would America be today? Because unfortunately... Unfortunately, the enemies of the Christian family, they are putting that much time and effort and energy into economic, political, and social pressure to get us to cave in, especially for the young family today. That verse that I gave you back in Psalms, let's reread it again. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. That was quoted by that guy that gets quoted all the time, Charles Spurgeon. And he wrote this essay. I'm going to read it to you. It's a little long, so hang in there. He said, I believe that the bulwark of Protestantism against popery is family worship. Happy is the household where the altar burns day and night with the sweet perfume of family worship. A Christian man had never set up family prayer, but his little boy went to visit an uncle. And when he came back, he said, Father, why do you not do as Uncle Isaac does? What is that, child? Why, he reads a chapter every morning and every evening and prays with his family. Father attended to family worship after that. The child's remark was a great help. And this is Charles Spurgeon continuing. I agree with Matthew Henry when he says, They that pray in the family do well. They that pray and read in the scriptures do better. 
and they that pray and read and sing do best of all. There is a completeness in that kind of family worship which is much to be desired. Every house should be the house of God, and there should be a church in every house. And when this is the case, it will be the greatest barrier against priestcraft and the idolatry of holy places. Family prayer and the pulpit are the bulwarks of Protestantism. I'm not saying that word right, so you're going to have to take my word for me. That family of Mr. Matthew Henry, to which I have referred, was so well ordered that very often visitors to the house who were unconverted when they were there were converted during their visit. If there be such a church in our house, let us order it well, and let all act as in the sight of God. Let us move in the common affairs of life with studied holiness and diligence, kindness and integrity. More is expected of a church than an ordinary household. Family worship must, in such a case, be more devout and hearty. Internal love must be more warm and unbroken, and external conduct must be more sanctified and Christ-like. We're almost to the end here. He continued, Let us be cheerful and happy at family worship. In your private devotions, you should also serve the Lord with gladness. Oh, how holy! And how heavenly ought your families to be when God has so favored you above many of his own people. Be very grateful. And while you are joyous, lay the crown of your joy at your Savior's feet. And if you have now a church in your house, maintain the ordinance of family worship with greater zeal and holiness and pray for others that the Lord in a like manner may visit them also. And that's how he completed his little essay. That was back in the 1800s. But boy, how important that is for the 21st century. Because we are taught so differently now. The world is completely different. Now you're saying to yourself, I don't have a family. I'm a single guy. I'm a single gal. Well, what's the point for me? I have, um, you know, spilling the beans. We have a, a young man that's coming out um, to serve in the fellowship with us. And I just recently told him what somebody had told me before I came out here. He said, if you're not evangelizing now where you're at, you're not going to change when you go wherever you go. And he told, they told me that, and I told him. And he was like, oh, you're absolutely right. So I said, why don't you invite some people to you know, the Calvary Chapel you go to, and you'll do it when you get here. The very same thing is true for family worship and personal worship, reading and praying. If you're not doing it now, what makes you think, single person, that you're going to do it when you get married? Or, or is it going to change when you have one child or five children? Uh, when is the right time to start? What if you have no children? It's just you and your wife. That family worship, what it, if you relate it to the church, should the church be worshiping God when it's a mega church? Or what about when it's only five people in this church? Should we worship any different? Of course not. It should be the same. But don't be so hard on yourself. The whole world is trying to stop you from doing the very thing that we're talking about. The enemy doesn't even want worship in church, much less in your home, much less in your private time. Let's look at some stats. These stats are secular stats from Pew Research. I don't know if you can see this or not, but you can uh, kind of tell from the color. The far left is 1960. The middle is 1980. The far right is 2013. And here's the quote. One of the largest shifts in the family structure is this. 34% of children today are living with an unmarried parent up from just 
1960. In 1960, only 9% of children in America were being raised in a family with one parent. And I wonder how many of those were actually um, where the father had died as opposed to divorce, widowers. In 1980, it went to 19%, but in 2013, it's up now to 34% of children being raised by a single parent, being raised by a single mom. That doesn't even take into account these areas where the parents are remarried. So these are stepkids, 34% single parent, 5% have no parents at all at home. They're running away. That's the shift that has changed from the yellow, which is two married parents in their first marriage. It is so rare today, but that used to be the rule. Now it's the exception. But to be quite honest, 46% of American families have two married parents in their first marriage. I thought that was really high. That's an optimistic number. I, I was surprised how good these numbers were. This is what the world is saying about moms that are married. This was in Time Magazine. It said the danger is that if a woman feel, excuse me, if women feel overwhelmed, they may decide to give up working outside the home. Okay, big deal. What are they talking about? Listen to the rest of this. This is the explanation of why they think that women working outside the home is such a danger. Why is that a danger? When a woman quits work, reduces hours, or takes a less challenging job, she sacrifices earnings, raises promotions, unemployment, unemployment insurance, pension accumulations, thereby undermining her future economic security, writes Stephen Kuntz, co-chair of Director of Public Education at the CCF. She is also less likely to have the kind of work continuity, continuity that has been found to protect a woman's mental and physical health better than part-time work, staying home, or experiencing frequent bouts of unemployment. You know what they're saying? Oh my gosh, the poor woman might be poor. That is terrifying. Absolutely terrifying that a woman is sacrificing her career by choice to stay home and to care for her children. That's their nightmare. That's where our values are as a society. Again, this is the secular numbers. This is the secular magazine and their research. But we say, okay, well, The Christian home is different. We do things different in the Christian home. Unfortunately, that is not the case. This is a Christian study. 85% of parents with children under the age of 13 believe they have primary responsibility for teaching their children about religious beliefs and spiritual matters. Woof, good. However, oh no, that's a bummer. A majority of parents don't spend any time during a typical week discussing religious matters or studying religious materials with their children. Parents generally rely upon the church to do all of the religious training their children receive. That was in the Barna Research Group in 2003. In 2003. So what is he saying here? In America... Families have been so preconditioned that we drop our kids off at school. Oh, whatever they teach them has got to be good. Drop them off at sports. Oh, whatever they do is going to be good. We drop them off at church. Oh, whatever they teach them has got to be good. 
And then it comes time to the parent spending time with the kid. Well, what do, what do we spend time talking to our kids about? Or un, no kids married couples, what are we spending our time on? Well, same thing that Time Magazine, money. We are concerned about money, our budget, our slush fund, our vacation fund. We're worried about ple- pleasure and leisure. I'm going to admit the majority of my conversations with my wife, they're not about spiritual matters. They're about where we're going to eat next or what's for dinner next. That's just, that's my, that's my life. We need some, don't look at my wife. She's, she's going to be in trouble. <laughs> what's the other thing that we're talking about? What's the other thing that we're focused about? It's sports. We're talking about sports or friendships and popularity. We're worried about hobbies. These are all things that we talk about at the dinner table. We talk about to and from work or to and from church, and we talk about them with our kids. How would families be different if we spent as much money, time, and effort as we do on sports as we did on educating our kids in their relationship with the Lord? How much different would our families be if we spent as much time and energy and money on our relationships with the Lord and our families as we do on our recreation or our eating out budget, for example. Now, these things should hit home. If you don't feel anything right now, any conviction at all, you're sleeping. And it's a Wednesday night, so I understand that too. Because we are all convicted by these things. And these are things that Spurgeon was exhorting his flock back in the 1800s. It's the same thing that we need to be doing now. But... We're still waiting for everyone else to tell us how to raise our kids. We're still telling everyone else how our marriage is supposed to be and what our walk with the Lord is supposed to be, how our church is supposed to run. There, there's a presidential, oh boy. There is a person that's running for president right now that, was, that said that it is the community's responsibility to raise your child and not your responsibility to raise your child. And it's not just one person saying that one time. There is a whole movement of people that believe that. And they don't want you to have a traditional marriage between a man and a woman before the eyes of God. They want, there's a whole movement of people out there that wants you to have an open marriage, no fault divorce. Well, I'm not in love with this. You're not the same person as you were anymore because the covenant itself means nothing at all. They want you to think that way, and they want to replicate that. So when you make a decision as a Christian, and even in the church itself, when you make a decision as a married couple, as an individual, as a single parent, as a father, as a mother, that you are not going to follow that mold in your home, that your home is going to change. You're going to do things different you are going to have pushback. You're going to have economic pushback. If you and your wife decide together that one is going to stay home or not, that's between you and the Lord. We know that there's a commandment in Titus chapter 3 and chapter 2 for for women to be homemakers at home. But that doesn't mean they don't work at all. In Proverbs 31, I misquoted last time I said that. I said Proverbs 30. But Proverbs 31, it says that women are supposed to be buying and and selling field and rolling up their sleeves and, and doing labor. It doesn't mean that they can't. It just means the priorities are different. And when you make that a priority, you're going to have pushback. Oh, you're legalistic. 
Oh, you're from the medieval times. Oh, you are against women's rights. Oh, you're a bigot. I've had people tell me those things to my face because I make those stands in our home. And that's something that we decided together. It wasn't dictatorship in my home. People find out that I don't have cable. They freak out. Like somehow not having the world plugged into my living room 24-7, having a pipeline of propaganda on my family, I'm living in a mud hut in Africa. Oh, you, you, you're backward. But have you, have you thought about it? That's what you're doing. You have piped your kids off, and I, I'm not against public school. I'm, I'm against not speaking and training your child up. That's what I'm against. That's what the Bible's against. But you you're, you're, have everyone else influencing your family, and then you want to pipe in the world the only shelter you have, the only rest stop you have in your four walls where they can't touch them, and you want to pipe it in. Poison. Oh, but we do it to our own minds, our own souls on the individual level. You have to make a stand. It has to be your stand. It has to be your convictions, your biblical convictions on what works for you and what does it. Public school, homeschool, Christian school. TV, no TV, liberty. Those things are decisions that you can make, but make them with your own eyes and your own mind and your own walk with Jesus Christ. Don't let other people tell you how you're supposed to have a home. You're losing the fight. The enemy's taking over. Well, you're saying, well, I don't know how to have a Christian home. I didn't know how to have a Christian home either. I grew up in a single-parent home. I grew up in a single-parent, atheist, liberal home. You know what my mom told me when I was growing up about religion? Oh, well, you can decide what you want when you're older. It's all the same. They all are good. That's what I was taught. That's baloney. It's hogwash. So when I grew up, In the faith, I became a Christian. I started watching my pastor. My pastor grew up in a broken home. His home is, I I can never live up to his standard. You know who his pastor is? Pastor Chuck Smith. He would just tell me stories about Pastor Chuck. You know that Pastor Chuck never watched a rated R movie, ever. Not once. You know why? He said, I'll never have in my home what's not allowed in the church. Why did he think that way? Because his home was a church. His home was a church. That was his standard. Anyone could come to his home at any time and experience God the same way that you could if you went to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Now, I don't live up to that personal standard. I have a little bit more of a a liberty in our family, but there are decisions that have to be made. But you have to make choices. And early on in our marriage, Megan and I had to decide Hey, how are we going to do this Christian thing? So here's some practical steps. Whether you have young kids or adult kids, whether you have no kids, married, single, these are all things that we can do. First and foremost is we can pray together. When's a good time to grab your kids' hands and pray with them? Obviously, every time we eat a meal, rub-a-dub-dub, let's eat some grub. I prayed that prayer. That's not praying. If I do that, it's comedy gold in my house because usually we pray for a while. But seriously praying at mealtimes, not because your meal somehow is not sanctified if you don't pray over it, but it's just a good habit 
to spend time as a family praying. What about trips? What about when you go on a trip somewhere? You're going on a long vacation or something. Before the car comes out of the driveway, you just make it a habit. Hey, family, we're going to pray real quick. Important decisions. Here's a a shocker. Um, You have a life change. Dad gets laid off. Mom gets laid off. Um, This Christian thing. You're, you're going to go full bore into it. You're going to have a family meeting. Husband and wife, you guys have a decision to make. You know, Big Bill came in. Grab each other's hands and pray about it. Talk about it. In those important conversations, in those arguments, at the end of an argument, have you prayed? Have you talked to the Lord about it? These are things that you can be doing on a one-on-one. These are things that you definitely should be doing with your children because if your children don't see you do it, they're not going to do it themselves. You can read together. If you're not praying, read a verse. Open up the book of Psalms. Read three verses if you've got young kids and they're not listening to any of it. Maybe you read a small chapter if you're a little bit older kids and you actually discuss it over a meal. What else are you going to talk about? Sports? I know some of you guys. Your teams don't win like mine. You have nothing to talk about. (laughs) Daily or weekly Bible study. If your home's a church, we have a weekly Bible study at my house. When we we stop doing Sunday evening services here, if my son's not in Awanas and we're not in church, we actually have a home Bible study every Sunday night at my house. We have a worship time, we have prayer time, reading time, and then we close and each person in the family prays. Before bed. You could read, you're going to read uh, Dr. Seuss. You can also read the Bible. And you don't have to be the Bible all the time. It can be all of the above. But is the Bible, is the Word of God being read? Maybe you have a morning devotion with your family. Maybe it's just your wife. Maybe it's one, well, maybe it's one child you pick out. Sharing key verses. Posting notes around the house. My wife loves to put um, verses in frames or pictures and, and throw them up around the house, and I love it. I love it. Nobody really thinks, though, about worshiping together. Just print out some a cappella hymns. You don't have any instruments in the family? That's fine. Daily or weekly Bible study, you should be worshiping together. What are we listening to on these trips? Please tell me you don't have Rush Limbaugh on a six-hour repeat. Everything he has to say, he says it in five minutes, and then he just repeats himself. And then everything else, sports, same thing. I listen to sports radio when I'm not listening to Bible studies. Everything that needs to be said is said in 15 minutes and then repeated for three hours. We should be worshiping the Lord everywhere we go. You, you wake up and you see that beautiful sunrise, and you say, oh, that's cool. Let me snap a photo, send it to 5,000 people. How about worshiping and praising the God that actually created that thing in that moment. And then you can do those things. And have you ever tried to worship in a difficult moment? You're broken over something. You're depressed. You're angry. You're frustrated. You're in in an argument. Bad day at work. Worship God. And it's so profound in its simplicity. But listen, for the Christian, the most complicated scenarios. Listen, is there anything more complicated than the whole world, physical, political, social, and spiritual arena against your home? That's the most complicated thing there is, but it has the simplest answer. It's the same answer I've always been giving you. Read, pray, and fellowship. It doesn't have to be just in church. It could be in your home. It could be in your living room. It could be in your Ferrari, your Porsche, or your 
uh, Ford Festiva. I saw one of those on the road the other day. I wanted to stop and shake his hand. And that, that's what some people ask. Is an at-home service even allowed? Here's some things that we think are taboo that Charles Spurgeon was talking about. You know that you can have communion at home? You can celebrate communion together as a family. You don't have to have a pastor or a kingdom of priests, the Bible says in First Peter, I believe. It's Jonathan Edwards that said that every Christian family ought to be, as it were, a little church. What is going on in your church at home, your home church? Can I watch the movies you watch here on this TV screen right here in front of everyone right now? Can the conversation you're having at your dining room table, can that be here in this church? Oh, this is different. What makes this place different? Well, that's, that's church. This is home. Why is that different? Jesus' church was everywhere he went, every place he had fellowship. He, he was never conf- consigned or conformed to walls. Our message is for everywhere. What's right here in this church is right in our living room and is right in our workplace. It's right in our marriage and our home. What's wrong here, what's not, what should not be allowed here is the same in our home and our place. We try and do the opposite even with church, don't we? People are like, oh, church, you can't be happy at church. Yeah, you can't. It has to be solemn, mm, important place. No, that's not biblical. Oh, when we're out of church, that's when we have fun. Well, if that's the mentality that we have, who wants to go? Who would ever want to be there? Well, what does the Bible say? I could spend so much time just on family structure, but I pull out the two verses really for us to see the pros and the cons. Very general terms. One's in Psalm 103, 17. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Isn't that what we want? See, you can have a godly legacy even if you don't have biological children. Pastor Mark is not my father, but he's more important to me than my father. Mentors, just being an example, cousin, niece, neighbor, nephew. But what happens when we don't invest into our family spiritually? What happens when we we don't make those troubles? Well, there's a curse in Proverbs, it says, He who troubles his own house will inherit the wind, and the fool will be the servant to the wise of heart. That doesn't sound pretty. Trouble to your own house. Are you bringing trouble to your own house because you're like a captain of a ship whose hand is never on the wheel, whose eye is never on the compass? It just goes and somebody else is in control. And when it shipwrecks, you're like, well, I didn't do I didn't touch it. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. Is your marriage like that? Is marriage happening to you or are you doing marriage? Are you making choices that are guiding your family, your home, your relationships, your future family? Or is it whatever the world throws on your table, you just deal with the consequences? Because there are people actively at this moment trying to outwit, outthink, and control your family and your children and your spouse. And if you're not thinking about it, you're spiritual lambs to the slaughter. See, we have to make a choice 
in our homes. We have to make a decision whether we're going to fight the good fight of faith and have a 21st century Christian home, or are we just going to have a 21st home that claims to be Christian? And America today, they're drawing the line in the sand for us. Hey, you're either with us or you're against us. Well, I pray that you would say, as Joshua said and as my family says, not just have this as a sign on your front porch. I see it all the time. But it says, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, that last portion is all talk without action. It's a verb. It's an action. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We won't just claim the Lord. We won't just say we're Christian. We won't just have Christian bumper stickers. We will actively serve the Lord in my home. We will bring offerings of praise. We will bring worship. We will bring reading. We will bring conversations. Now, does that mean that my house is perfect? If you know me, you know, you're laughing because we have just as many troubles as any other person. We have just as many troubles as our neighbors. We have just as many troubles as you. We have just as many marital. We have real arguments, Megan and I, and we have little bickering sessions between her and I. We argue over the laundry just as much as everyone else. What's on TV? Nobody can decide what's to eat ever. Thank you, Matt. It's the same as everybody else, but what's different? The church is not different than the rest of the world. We're all sinners. The difference is we're saved by grace. The difference is that we have a Savior. We have the Lord in our home. And in times of trouble, in times of rejoicing, in times of great joy and celebration, we praise Him. In times of great mourning and sorrow, we praise Him. And we just pray, Megan and I, that our children see the same thing and don't grow up to be pastor's kids. Just kidding. (laughs) We have to decide. Now, lastly, this church is a family too. And we've seen people come and we've seen people go over the years and it's hurt. And we've seen people visit and we've seen people just plug in and stay here. And you may be thinking, I don't have any kids or I'm not married or I'm single or my kids' problems are so much that nobody can handle. You know, especially here, I can say it much more loosely, freely on a Wednesday night. We are a family here. We are very close. It's one of the greatest things about having a small fellowship. We should be praying for one another and interceding with one another and worshiping one another and reading together in our conversations, at the coffee shop, wherever we go, whatever we do, in sports, in hobbies, in dinner times, in witnessing. Because the whole world wants you to be a church at church and like them everywhere else. Are you giving into that? Or are you going to be like Joshua? As for me and my house, and as for me and my church, we're going to serve the Lord. With that being said, we're going to pray this out together as a church family. We're going to spend some time praying, interceding for one another, growing together, worshiping Him. I pray that the Lord uh, spoke to you and will continue to speak to you through this message. And Lord Jesus, we do praise you and thank you so much. You have given us so many tools. All your promises are yes and amen. 
We just pray as we come before you and pray together, Lord, that you would be honored and that we would receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen.